Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast coming to you from Dhammashalawa. India have regained the Border Gavaskar Trophy with an eight-wicket win in the fourth test. Needing 87 on the final day, India lost Murali Vijay and Chetashwar Pajara in the space of five balls, but the hosts were never going to be denied as KL Rahul and Ajinka Rahane raced to victory before lunch. Here to recap not just the fourth test, not just the Border Gavaskar series, but the entire Australian summer is the second most popular member of the Unplayable Podcast, Mr. Andrew Ramsey and Rambo. Australia fought hard on this tour, but eventually came up just short. Uh, I think we predicted every one of those outcomes, Sam, mm. didn't we? Um, two, one, at one nil up with a thumping win in Pune, uh, looking like we were here for history-making trip, but oh, yeah. uh, it ended up being probably the result that most people had expected, albeit a little bit more hard-fought than India had planned and a lot of the critics had anticipated. Okay, let's go back to the start of the series. We're going to pick a couple of key moments in each match. In the first test in Pune, uh, Mitchell Stark's rapid half-century late on day one avoided the Australians from being bowled out for somewhere around 200 to what turned out to be a match-winning first innings total of 260. Stark then dismissed Virat Kohli for his first test duck on home soil. So it was quite a start for the left armour. Uh, yes, he'd uh, until that point of his innings, they were looking like they were going to be Desperately skinny on what was a pretty tricky pitch. The curator, the very interesting man at Pune, who'd said the ball was going to fly through mm. here two days before the test started. I don't know what whether he'd been uh, on some of the clippings he'd taken off the surface, but uh, he was seeing things that no one could see in that pitch. He might have got mixed up with here in Dharmashala because it flew through here. It did, but the air's thinner here, so it's always going to fly through here. Um, mm. It's quite thick down there in Pune. You could actually look out your window and see it. Uh, no, no, that was a, a important innings for Mitchell Stark. And then that v- wicket of Virat Kohli kind of set the tone for not just the test, but for some of the rest of the tests that followed. Um, you say his first duck and put India on their heels and silenced the crowd, which is never easy to do here. Certainly isn't. Stephen O'Keefe then shattered the record books with 12 for 70, 6 for 35 in each innings. O'Keefe was always going to be a key bowler on spinning wickets, but nobody would have predicted the sudden impact he would make. Uh, no, that was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? Uh, mm. Even by, I think, in his own imagination, Stephen O'Keefe probably didn't think he'd play that big a role that quickly in India. No. Actually, he took wickets in the first innings as well as the second, uh, and that's um, normally when the, the back end of their game is when spinners like that come into the uh, into effect. So... His uh, contribution there was huge. Are they with the Indians? I don't know if they just treated him with a lack of respect or whether they just genuinely uh, were surprised by changes he'd made in his bowling or they hadn't researched something, but they were all at sea in that test and they were a bit of a rebel, to be honest, in, the, in yeah. that game. They looked disinterested, sort of dispirited and... Um, probably got the result they deserved at the end. In between O'Keefe's heroic, Steve Smith posted a vital century to put his stamp on the series and set the tone for his teammates. It wasn't faultless by any means. He was dropped about five times, but it was a true captain's knock in the most difficult of conditions, Rambo. Uh, yes, and that again said that. That was the the tale of the uh, contrasting captains, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Virat out first ball for a duck. Stephen Smith coming out in the second innings and making a century that put the game... Pretty much in Australia's keeping, um, India were never going to chase down that in their second innings, but um, he just went from strength to strength there. I think uh, people who suspected he may not have the game to survive in India conditions because uh, he's unorthodox um, only had to watch that innings to realise he was going to have a, uh, a fairly bountiful trip over here. 
Now, Rambo, we, like you said, Australia weren't expecting to come over here and hit the ground running as well as they did, but everyone was just a bit shocked, weren't they? 333 run win by Australia in the first test, and all of a sudden, India on the back foot. Yes, uh, uh, there was much angst and uh, teeth gnashing in the amongst the India press corps and the Indian team. Virat Kohli came out after that game and said uh, intensity wasn't good enough, he needed more intensity. Uh, he must have gone to the intensity shop at that point and ordered in a very large box of it because he had mm. it in droves from that point on. Oh, yes. Um, but uh, I think anyone who thought that suddenly this was going to be Australia's series to romp home in probably hadn't uh, studied history or realised how different that India team was to the ones that had won the um, however many tests it was beforehand, nine tests leading into that, uh, yeah. that start of that series. Um, so... Things are always going to change, but I don't think anyone quite expected that uh, they'd change probably as quickly or fiercely as they did. In the second test, there were probably two pivotal moments. The first was in Australia's first innings when they lost their last four wickets for just seven runs. It stopped them taking a lead of about 120 to 140 to just 87. The Aussie tail had wagged in that series, but not on that occasion. No, no, and that's when they probably needed another... Mitchell Stark from either him or someone else yeah. down the bottom of the innings. Um, it was a difficult pitch. Though. I think they were saying beforehand it was probably worse in terms of being less reliable than the Pune pitch, which just kept low. Um, this one was sort of bouncing at different heights and at different angles because it was like a mosaic of cracks. Um, but batting first on that was never going to get any easier as the game went on. They just needed to push on past you know, 350 towards 400 or something to set the game up. But mm. uh, they came in... Uh, under par, and that became a bit of a theme in itself throughout the remaining tests. Have I jumped ahead there? No, that's all right. Keep going. Uh, the second moment in that second test was the 118-run partnership between Pajara and Rahane. Both players were dropped, Pajara on four and Rahane on three, and those missed opportunities would come back to haunt Australia. Uh, Australia set India 188 to win, and they were scheduled for 112, Ashwin taking six wickets. Uh, yes, that was um, just when you realised how difficult batting was going to become. The, after... Pujara and Rahane had put that partnership together. The rest of the Indian innings fell away mm. in a heap. I seem to recall a snapped stump and all sorts of yeah. things happening late in that uh, test with Mitchell Stark roaring in. Um, but yes, starting in innings was obviously going to be very difficult. Very tough for uh, uh, less skilled batters in those conditions and the sort of conditions that Taylor made for Ashwin and Jadeja to spin them to victory at the end, um, which is what they did. And I think that was a bit of a a wake-up call for the Australians that um, as well as things had gone in Pune, it was always going to get a lot tougher. And it just showed this test series was so tight that you had to take every opportunity that came your way. Uh, that third session in, on the third day, Pajara Hane went through undefeated, added 90-odd, and that's really where that game turned. Uh, yes, that was the. there's always one defining partnership in a winning test innings, isn't there? And that was mm. the one for them. Um, there was a little bit of controversy in that one too. Was that not a turning point, the post-match? kerfuffle over the uh, dressing room and the oh, yes. uh, the uh, that sort of lit the fuse for one of a more tabloid term on the the smouldering powder keg that exploded into life later in the well that's a Diwali reference it was actually uh, holy that happened when we got to Ranchi so mm. I've mixed up me Hindu festivals there, so we best move on. Yes, but we probably should cover that. That was when Steve Smith looked at his dressing room during a DRS referral. That's obviously against the rules. Vera Colley was all the more happy to point that out and let uh, the umpire say, no, mate, you're not allowed to do that. And then after the match, Vera said, uh, look, that's against the spirit 
I wouldn't do that. Uh, I don't think our team would ever do that. They've seen them do it. Seen the Australians do it twice before in the same match. Uh, when asked if it was cheating, he said, "That was your words, not mine. Not our words, Rambo. Someone else." We would never use those words. No, yeah. no. Um, but yeah, as you said, that really did light the fuse, and that made the a spicy series even more spicier. Maybe a ghost chili worth of spice. A ghost chili, and which I'm told is the hottest known chili. Although they think there's been one that's been man manufactured somewhere in. Uh, East Asia recently that is maybe that maybe one for the research team yeah. if they're wandering through the Korean Peninsula at the moment um, they can find out but yes uh, things got a little bit spiteful after that there was a lot of uh, slanging and accusations and uh, it only made an already quite compelling series even more tasty mm. yeah, it was actually eight days between the, the two test matches so we're worried about how we're going to cover it how we're going to fill the pages and fill up the bottomless internet but uh, after that there was plenty to talk about. There was. There was uh, the spiciness. There was the injury to Mitchell Stark, which is another fairly key moment mm. in the uh, the way that series unfolded when he went home. Um, then there was the uh, accusations about who was lying, who wasn't lying. There were statements issued by rival boards, ICC getting involved, not laying any charges, therefore indicating it's all fair and above board. So... Uh, there was a bit going on there. Um, I think was there. You were in the hammock for most of that. Uh, me? Oh, that was me. You went up the country, not me. I had to go and write all this stuff. Um, let's go to the third test, and we were in Ranchi for its first ever test match, and it saw plenty of runs. We we're probably expecting a couple of these pitches to to be roads, and Ranchi was certainly that. Uh, Australia. Well, looking back, they'll be ruining uh, being fourth, 140 after winning the toss and electing to bat. Smith and Maxwell scored centuries each and put on 191 together, but they left some runs out there, didn't they, Rambo? Uh, they did. That pitch was uh, labelled the pitch of death several days before. People were aghast at how it looked. It was an ugly thing. It was mottled and brown and no grass and mud and someone damp. Just, and someone just said, dig a crater and be done with it. There was someone who clearly had uh, a vested interest somewhere um, <laughs> selling newspapers or something. Um, but then it came out and played. It wasn't by any means a, a cracker of a wicket, but it was fairly mm. true. It was slow bounce. Uh, and having batted first on that, the Australians would have wanted that 600 total they talked about so mm. many times before they got here. Bat 150 overs, make 600. Um, 450 was a good score, but when India came out and then reduced the pace of the games, kind of took it on their own terms and just batted and batted and batted and put 600 on you. That's when you. That's how you had to bat on that pitch. So those four wickets. In the at the start of their first innings were pretty costly. And you could just see it in Steve Smith's body language, couldn't you? He was undefeated on 178, and when they when that last wicket fell, Josh Hazelwood was run out. He was filthy, wasn't he? He just knew that there were still so many runs out there, not only for him but for the team. Yeah, and I think he could see how that was going to unfold if India's batters had got in a couple of them, um, as Pujara did. Mm. Uh, that it was just going to be hard work. There was nothing in there for you know, bowlers as much as Paddy Cummins bent his. Uh, often reconstructed back um, to get something out of it. There was just nothing on offer. So once a batter got in, um, as Smith knew himself when he was batting, it was pretty much had to take something very, very special to chisel them out. Australia had been saying in the lead-up to the series they needed about 150 overs. Make those scores and 550 or more. Will India show them just how to do it? They batted 210 overs for 603 runs. Pajara and Sahara com- Saha combined for 199. Saha Sahara and Sahara, that sounds like some sort of geographical uh, nightmare. Well, it was uh, dry and dusty conditions out there, that's for sure. But uh, Saha was dropped on, dropped by weight on 57. He went on to make 117 and Pajara made 202. Now, remember, that partnership was certainly vital. 
but in a way, did it cost India because it took so long? Um, I think they, it's a template they've employed a lot, uh, as we said before in this uh, podcast, that they did it to England several times in that series late last year, bat beyond 600, and they backed themselves to bowl the other team out inside a day. I think mm. most of those tests that they won, they were either batting at the start of day five or um, declared overnight. Mm. Uh, so... They were just backing their bowlers to do it. They got um, a couple of very key wickets uh, before day five. Uh, David Warner, who was given a bit of a send-off by Virat with his uh, dodgy shoulder. Mm. Um, so they would have thought they'd done the right thing. You know, got as f- Just milked as many runs as they could, stayed out there, kept the bowlers tired, you know, f- messed with the heads of the opposition and just try and fatigue them and then rip through them. But there wasn't really a lot on offer for their spinners. And no. Sean Marsh and Peter Hanscom batted very, very well. That's right, they batted for four hours after Australia lost four early wickets, four for 63. They were the Australians, Steve Smith, Darren Lehman, they preached resilience leading up into this series, and that partnership was the epitome of resilience. It was resilient and adaptable because mm. the, given the way the pitch was supposed to play, which was somewhere between uh, you know, Death Valley and uh, a pit full of serpents, mm. uh, to bat at you know, any time on day five, you had to sort of work out what the pitch was going to do, how you fashion a game plan, and... You know, for a guy who hasn't had any experience playing test cricket in India, Peter Hanscom was very impressive. Sean Marsh, as we know, has a pretty reasonable track record on Asian pitches, and they're both fairly uncomplicated techniques, I think is the term people like to use. And um, they were never going to try and you know, set a target or push the game on. They just knew they had to survive, and they, they did it. The fact that Australia lost a couple of quick wickets when they went showed you how crucial that was, because if one of those had gone, it was probably mm. a, a bit of a an open highway into the lower middle order, and that could have been disastrous. Now, you mentioned Virat Kohli then. Again, he was a focal point during the third test. He busted his shoulder, diving, landing heavily, trying to prevent a boundary. He did, actually. Prevented it. Uh, only did went very for, well. Only went for three. Just didn't stick the landing. Just didn't stick the landing, but it was uh, there were some accusations flying around that he was mocked by the Australians when he was dismissed for six. But the broadcast showed Steve Smith grabbing his shoulder in celebration. In fact, it was a phantom hand. Belonged to his teammate Peter Hanscom was at Gully because Smith took the catch. Mm. I thought it might have been Thing from the Adams family. It looked that a bit just like snuck Thing, its way it? onto yeah, the it's... field, which is pretty handy too, like quite literally. Yeah, yeah. And then the Maxwell almost did a mirror image of Coley in the field, but he got up okay. And then I think someone close to him said, How's you, how are you feeling, mate? And he sort of grabbed his shoulder. A bit of a Aussie banter would have been all right in Australia would have thought but the Indians didn't take very kindly to that and Coley uh, subsequently was ruled out of the rest of the series as it, in the lead up to the fourth test uh, failed a fitness test on test match morning day one and that was it but that was very very fiery after that third test Rambo when uh, the Australians were said to be mocking the Indian captain that's right that's uh, in a country of 1.2 billion people who uh, worship their cricket team uh, mm. and particularly the spiritual leader of their cricket team the captain um this was a step too far. Um, I think some of the humour probably got a bit lost there. I think it's you know, the sort of thing that Australians do, you know, just making a point. Oh, I managed to jive one to the boundary and didn't hurt myself. Um, but, yeah, that probably did escalate and just made an already ugly temperature between the two teams even hotter. Um, and then heading into the final test, uh, made Vera at the centre again, whether, whether he was going to play or whether he wasn't. Yeah, well, that was rumours were flying left, right, and centre. Rambo, I was hearing one day that he was definitely going to play, another day it was no chance. One day that he was, he went back to Bangalore to be assessed by his IPL doctors. Another one, he came to altitude 
early to try and get uh, more red blood cells into the shoulder so that he could regain his strength faster. Did he go into a hyperbaric chamber? Everyone who's yeah. ever followed a football code knows that the hyperbaric chamber does marvellous things. If you never know how many compound fractures you've got, it can heal them within a couple of days. Maybe he did that. These were the type of rumours that were flying around. But, so uh, he went into the hyperbolic chamber. Mm, well then, on match eve, he spoke to the press and said, made it adamant that if he wasn't going to be 100%, no player who's not 100% will not be playing in a test match. As it turned out, he didn't get there, and Ajika Rahane was the captain for the fourth and series deciding test. Mm, big call, isn't it? If you're the captain of the country, you'd batted in the previous test, or but not for long, um, and you'd had a couple of days to recover, but clearly uh, he wasn't right. He said before the test match that uh, it didn't really worry him when he was batting. It was only when no. he was in the field, and given that he could have fielded it slip and probably not had to do a lot of chasing, throwing, leaping, tumbling or uh, dismounting, then nope. uh, you would have thought perhaps he'd just press on. But if that's a team rule, then that's a team rule. And uh, it might be bad news for anyone who's covering a little, carrying a, a nasty, like a bunion or something, into mm. a test match that to be ruled out would be quite unfair. Okay, Australia batter first, and they put on 300, and it didn't look so bad, Rambo, when India was 6 for 243. But a drop catch by Matthew Renshaw was turned out to be very significant. Not only did it cost them 22 runs and the wicket of Saha, but it was the last ball of the first over of the second new ball. on Of the la- court of King Correct. Yeah, late on day two. And it would have given the Australians the momentum heading into day three and a good chance of getting a lead. Uh, yes, it was uh, unfortunate for Matthew Renshaw, who turns 21 today. Happy birthday, Matthew. Happy birthday. Uh, he dropped two fairly sharp catches at first slip where he's been very very good it must be said up until now and I think they ended up costing if you add the score on which the batter was to the score they finally got out for I think it cost them 75 runs and in a game where you're only 32 behind Mm. that could have been a 35 run or whatever advantage Uh, there's a fairly significant swing in the game that's not to say that was he cost them the test but it was they were significant moments like you say you get a wicket with that. You get a wicket uh, of Jadeja off the first ball of the the next day, and that's an overturn because it's clearly not out. Mm. All those start, things start to compound, and uh, before you know it, India had wriggled free and put a bit of a lead on the board, and uh, it was going to be tough coming back from there. And even though it was only 32 runs, remember the deficit, you could really see that it did affect the Australians. They knew how hard it was going to be batting in the third and fourth innings, and to be 32 in arrears before facing a ball I think just mentally they were probably a little bit defeated. Yeah, they'd been a frustrating first hour or so on that on that day. Um, they did pretty well then to knock over the back end of the Indian innings, yep. about six overs once they managed to break that partnership. But um, they then came out and faced some fairly hostile fast bowling. Ooh, yeah. The bouncy wicket with the new ball and to lose your top three batsmen, including your two most senior batsmen, mm. before you've reeled in the deficit... Um, and then have the spinners come at you with a little bit of you know, blood in the nostrils. It was, uh, mm. it was starting to feel then like the game and the series was slipping away. And it was such a such an evenly fought contest, Rambo. I mean, when it was 300 on the board, 6 for 243, it felt like it was going to come down to the wire, like it was going to be 300, play 300, then Australia going to set a total and India were going to scrape there and either just get there or just fall short. As it turns out, uh, that 32 on deficit, as you said, Australia were 3 for negative 1, theoretically at one point and then setting us India only 106 to win just wasn't enough and India ran away with it in the end uh, yeah that that collapse of five wickets before tea and then the rest of them not long afterwards mm. um, not only did it give them a 
a too narrow a lead and not really set a challenging target. But it also gave the the quicks who'd done a power of work um, to, on that pitch to very little time to rest and recuperate. So uh, while the Indian bowlers had a bit of time to freshen up as their batters stayed out there, even though they weren't scoring quickly, they were soaking up some time in the game. Um, the Australians bowled out in less than 55 overs. Um, it just mm. made... And you can see that when the, the two Australian quicks started in the next innings they were you know just in need of a little bit of a refuel they probably having gone out in the morning didn't want to be back there bowling by the end of the day and that's mm. exactly what happened okay rambo how will australia reflect on this series they've exceeded the expectations of many but after winning the first test it might have looked like uh, this one might be the one that got away yeah i think in, in on balance they'd probably think they did much better than they could or thought they might or mm. certainly much better than most people expected them to but at the same time it was series was there to be won and come the final test at yeah. several stages during that final test um so they, i think in their quieter moments they might see it as the the opportunity that slipped past them series wins in india um they're a bit like personal space in india they're not that, diff- they're not that easy to find not many people find it at all uh-huh. uh, so they've had a chance batted first on a good pitch should have set a total virat Kohli wasn't playing their best batsman uh, no. All sorts of things had fallen into their favour, um, but they just couldn't get over the line. Um, so uh, you'd probably, in terms of what it might mean for the future, what it meant for this team as a young, recently sort of put together side, it was probably a fairly good experience, a handy experience, a worthwhile one, but at day's end they still came up short. Yeah, and at the same time, you probably won't get Steve Smith in better form. He scored 499 runs in the series and three centuries the First Australian captain to do so in a series in India. Virat Kohli, on the other hand, he made 46 runs in five innings. Not that I'm going to say Steve Smith can't score 300s again in a series in India, but I would uh, bank on Virat Kohli not averaging 9.2 in a test series against Australia at home again. No, I don't think we'll see that for a while. I've read somewhere that was like the worst performance by a top six India batter at home for, if not decades, ever. Really? I may have made Is that up. Is this the research team again? No, that's why I we're putting that caveat in there that it could be an absolute fallacy. But yep. um, it was pretty skinny like to average under 10 as the captain of your team and a, yeah. your, your best batsman is uh, quite remarkable. And just getting, I mean, got out twice without offering a shot. And, uh, the, the word is that the Australians were really getting stuck into him on the field and whether it worked or not, he was phased by something, whether it was uh, fatigue, a long season. He'd been scoring so many runs against New Zealand, England, Bangladesh, but to offer no shot twice and get out in pretty ugly circumstances, it looked like he was really sort of mentally jaded. Uh, something was going on there. Certainly didn't stop him getting in the headlines from that point on. What, no. he, what, what he couldn't do with his bat, he was uh, offering with his antics and his... Uh, is post-match assessments. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's another thing that will feed into this nagging belief that they may have let one slip. Um, and you're right, Stephen Smith was just in rare form, so he just needed someone to stand up alongside him. Um, you know, Glenn Maxwell made a century. Uh, Sean Marsh was good here and there. Hanscom played a decent knock, but there just wasn't the... Apart from Matt Renshaw in the first few tests, no one going to help him out with the big score at the other end, and that's really probably where the the tale was told yeah and there's absolutely no love lost between these two teams is there Rambo before the first test Virat Kohli said that uh, he's friends with a lot of the guys and he'll get along with them but I think it was you who asked him at the post-match press conference today are those friendships still intact and what did he say no <laughs> it was his uh, and he wasn't uh, in seemed to be in a great humor when he answered that question mm. he uh, hadn't taken that particularly kindly some of the stuff that was said to him obviously on the field or gestures made to him um, and he said he thought 
in his heart of hearts, I'm just paraphrasing here, that yeah. they were going to be chums forever and besties for life and he's a little bit hurt by the fact that that didn't pan out so he's never ever going to say that again about uh, his, his Australian mates. They're dead to him. Oh. Uh, it could make IPL quite interesting given that some of them will be in his team at some point, I would have thought, and mm. come against him come up against him during yep. the uh, course of that tournament. So uh, maybe there's a chance that they'll smooth it over. There's thing like a couple of you know, luck rupees to help you uh, mend your ways. So who knows? We'll check again later in the year. I'll ask him that question again at some point. Do it. Uh, just for your future reference, uh, best friends forever is BFFs in the New Age lingo. So if you want to throw that out next time you're talking about this, just say BFFs and everyone will get what you mean. Okay. Is it like a BFG or is it it's a Roald Dahl book? Yeah, slightly different. Okay, let's go back to the start of the test summer. And it was a roller coaster from the beginning. Rambo Stark nearly got his leg chopped off in a fielding mishap. There were talks about uh, decapitating reptiles before by the tourists when they came over here. Dale Stang got injured in the first test. The Proteus won in Perth. And then the humiliation of Hobart forced a seismic overhaul of the test team. And that was just the first two tests, Rambo. That's right. I think Stephen Smith referred today as the Hobart test as people saying was the end of the world. There are some who have suggested that Hobart's the end of the world, but it's actually just near, quite near the bottom of Australia. Yeah. So all our Lovely Tasmanian place, really. I love it down there. I can't go there often enough. Yep. Um, but the Australians had a fairly grim time there. Uh, that was a decided low point um, for the Australian team that brought about all sorts of changes. Selection panel, yep. personnel changes in the team. Players who'd been brought in for one test were immediately shunted out uh, for the next and... Uh, the new era dawned there and then uh, after the South African series. They were in a bit of a state of flux then, weren't they? They'd come back from their loss in Sri Lanka. They'd been rolled over 5 nil in a one-day series in South Africa. Thing, there wasn't a happy ship at that stage. And then to mm. be um, ambushed by South Africa twice uh, really did make things very, very unpleasant in and around uh, most parts of Australian cricket. Yeah, and like you said, there was a big overhaul, but we had a new chairman of selectors because Rod Marsh had been in the job for a number of years. He stepped down, he resigned after five consecutive test loss. Then the new chairman of selectors was the old chairman of selectors yeah. back in the the golden era when uh, you and I probably could have picked that team in the days of Gilchrist, McGrath, Warren, Hayden, etc., uh, etc. Et well, yeah, there's four or five of them there. Um, so it was a... A real sea change, and you saw that in the personnel for the third test against South Africa. They brought in a number of guys who were new to test cricket, um, and the ship was realigned and a new coordinate set. Yes. Well, heading into the new era of Australian cricket, end of day night test at the Adelaide Oval, all the attention was on Lollygate Rambo and South Africa skipper Faf Dubassi, who used a mint to shine the ball in Hobart. Faf said he did nothing wrong. The whole South Africa squad turned up to a press conference. That was bizarre. To defend their captain, and even a TV journalist was shoulder charged at the Adelaide airport. Uh, that was equally bizarre. Uh, Faf was found guilty of ball tampering. He was fined his entire match fee from Hobart, but he was free to play. Uh, Rambo... From your centuries of covering Test Match Cricket, have you seen anything like this? Well, there was no sweets, obviously, for most of the time that I covered. In fact, people had plywood teeth, so they weren't allowed to eat sweets. They would just stick to the wood, and that would be... Uh, and they got back with them. That's right. And then there was, of course, rationing, and that put an end to that for a while. You could only take a, a, a tin of snuff out onto the field, and that had no impact on the ball whatsoever. What so about, it's only a very modern... the Brill Cream? You could have done the Brill back in the day. Richie and those guys... Uh, I'm not. Are you suggesting that Richie was ball, a ball tamper? No, I'm just saying he used brill cream. Oh yes, um, and yeah, Keith Miller was a very big one. The brill cream, and he could just get it to swing around. So, I think John Lever over here in a tour of ring in 1976 was uh, nailed for wearing gauze tape above his eyebrows that was coated in Vaseline to stop the sweat dripping in his eyes, and he was oh. found to be 
a bit naughty. Rubbing that on the ball at some point, so it goes on for a while. But uh, it was a fairly blatant breach of uh, whatever playing condition that is that says you can't alter the condition of the ball. Faf just stuck his entire hand in his mouth and rubbed it around on the lolly and then rubbed it on the ball. Yeah. He claimed there was nothing untoward with that, but he never actually said he didn't do it. Um, uh, so that was uh, intriguing. I'm not quite sure what sort of lolly it was. Did we ever find out? No, I'm not sure. It was white. Maybe it was minty. Are they a sponsor? Don't know. They are now. I think we can, we're looking for one. Uh, Minties. Uh, but can you, uh, just the circus around at Rambo, I've just never seen anything like it. There were stakeouts at the stadium when he was having his hearing. There were teleconferences calling in. Every page and every back paper in the country had a faf headline or some sort of lolly pun on there somehow. Uh, it was just really bizarre. We probably did the Australians... A favour because it took a lot of the attention off the new lot, the five new guys in the test squad, and let the, all the focus be on the South Africans. That's right. And then they were going into a test match using the bright pink ball, which itself looks like some kind of confectionery. So mm. um, it was quite a kerfuffle, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think Faf was a bit nonplussed, uh, a bit miffed. Certainly the South Africans felt they were very unfairly treated by parts of the Australian media. Um, following them round, continually asking questions about the, the lolly. Um, and given they'd already won the series, I don't think they were that disappointed uh, to get into the Adelaide Test and get out of the country. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, when that Test match started, the cricket was excellent. Uh, debutants Matt Renshaw and Peter Hanscom made significant contributions and Usman Khawaja made a match-winning century to get the new era off to a winning start. Then came Pakistan, who nearly chased down 490 under lights of the Gabba before they lost the unlosable test in Melbourne. David Warner, his pyrotechnics lit up the SCG for another comfortable win. Australia were undefeated with their new-look team, uh, a very young team and a very successful team. They'd uh, hit the ground running, hadn't they? The Adelaide test set them up. Usman Khawaja's innings was outstanding as an opener, even though he wasn't supposed to be because David Warner had locked himself in the toilet or something. (laughs) Um, And... Then the Pakistan series, they just uh, looked like they were a veteran unit. They just kind of clicked. Their, all the component parts seemed to work. Uh, Pakistan were a, you know, a chance in Brisbane. That was a fairly tight-run game. But after that, they uh, the wheels came off, as can happen with the Pakistani bandwagon. Mm. Uh, and it had the, making, the makings of a very kind of tight-knit unit, this team that they had been thrown together at very short notice. Um, as you say, Hanscom and Renshaw looked very comfortable in Test cricket. Matthew Wade... Come back in, looked apart. Probably Nick Maddinson was the one who was struggling a bit to find uh, his feet at test level. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't matter when you got David Warner batting like that at the top of the innings and Stephen Smith coming in not far behind him. No. All right, Rambo, what was your what was your highlight or, so, or highlights of the test summer, in, including these uh, four tests here in India? Oh, as I alluded to earlier, the highlight for any test summer is going to Hobart. Yes. Uh, it's just glorious down there. Um, even though that was a very short test, we didn't get to stay as long as we could have. Um mm. Yeah, I, th- I thought the actual day-night tests were quite exciting. Um, the Adelaide one and the first historic Brisbane one, yep. where people thought the ball was going to not just swing, but swing so violently it might end up in the swing pool. Uh, <laughs> it was um, it was a great test match. It was very, really, you know, Pakistan looked like setting a new record for a run chase on the last day, um, which kind of put paid to suggestions that you couldn't make runs with a pink ball in Brisbane. Yep. Um, and probably the one standout, apart from Usman Khawaja's 100 in Adelaide, was David Warner's 100 before lunch yeah. on the first day of the Sydney Test. Um, you know, As you say, I've been covering Test cricket since 1751, and yep. uh, I hadn't seen that before. No, that was great. I also liked uh, seeing some of the, the foreign bowlers, Kakiso Rabada. Thank you for Neil Manthorpe for uh, telling us how to pronounce that. But Kakiso Rabada, he's a real find, isn't he? Uh, no, Dalstein was 
injured in that first test. I was really looking forward to him bowling this series. But if they lose him in the next couple of years, they've got a re-main replacement in Rabada, who looks like he's going to take a wicket almost every spell. He was quite outstanding, wasn't he? Uh, mm-hmm. Not you've a Perth pitch that's probably not the old Perth pitch of old, but had enough in it. Hobart, where it was wobbling around a bit, nibbling off the seam under the overcast skies, and then Adelaide, where it was the the pink ball with a little bit of extra grass on the pitch. He was uh, very threatening, um, and it's a good news story, isn't it? Like he's a you know everyone likes a young fast bowler come on the the scene, but he's a he's a smart, engaging young kid, and uh, you're right. If they can keep him on the park, there's always a danger for fast bowlers. Mm. Uh, he's going to be a, a huge talent. And it's not every day that you see a, a test team go under such a transformation like the one that happened after Hobart. You were there when Bradman stepped away at 48. There when Chapel. That 48 or in 48? Uh, in 1948, I think it was. Is that about right? I don't know how old he was. Oh, no. He would, have been, he would have been close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was 40. Born in 1908. Uh, you were there when Chapel, Marsh, and Lily. Stepped away, and now what happened in Adelaide and Hobart? Uh, just seeing that type of stuff doesn't happen every day, and it's pretty exciting. It is. Uh, that's when you realise that you're there at a, a watershed moment in the sport. And watershed. Do we ever figure what that means? Uh, no, I, th- I think it's like a, a, a yeah, it is a shed. Um, yeah, that's an important one. So that if you turn around the corner, uh, there's something even more interesting there. Okay. I, I don't know how that works. Um, but no, it was a, a exciting time, Australian cricket. Like. From the doldrums of Hobart to uh, then going undefeated for the rest of the summer uh, just made you think that perhaps they'd found some answers and that the trip to India might not be as barren as it was looking in mid-November. Let's get the crystal ball out, Rambo. Uh, Is that like a yak ball? It's kind of, you don't eat the crystal ones though. No, you can, but they, they, they have worse effect than whatever Faf had in his mouth. <laughs> Let's make some bowl predictions. We're, we're very fond of bowl predictions on this podcast. How did we go with our India ones, all right? No, we were hopeless, but we're fond of them. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, let's let's make some bowl predictions for the state of cricket in 12 months' time. So let's pretend it's the 28th of March, 2018. At this point, we'll either... God, just, I'll be 207. We've just finished, or uh, well, probably in the midst of the South Africa series, uh, away from home. But let's, let's pretend that series is finished. Uh, this time of the year, Rambo, who will be holding the Ashes? Australia, I think. Uh, do I need to say why? Yeah. Um, I think we saw enough here in India of Pat Cummins. Um, as we speak, or maybe not now because it's night time in Australia, James Pattinson is uh, tearing up the Shield final and all places Alice Springs, which is not exactly a uh, hostile fast bowler pitch. From, and he made runs in that game as well. Steve Smith is very, very keen to get a four-man pace attack up and firing at England. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you look at the form that Nathan Lyons in, you look at the form that Steve Smith's in, you look at David Warner's record at home, you look at the guys they've brought into the team. Um, and... England may face a similar change under Joe Root, but you have to think that um, the Australian team that has not much test cricket between now and then will be able to get everyone up and going and fit and focused on the Ashes because they need to win them back. I think uh, they'll win at home. As it stands right now, India are the number one test team, but in 12 months' time, who will be the number one test team? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say India. You're going to retain the crown? I think so. Um, I don't even know what their schedule is from here, but they look pretty impressive. Mm. Um, they're the only countries I don't seem to perform well in are Australia and England, maybe South Africa not so much. Um, and I'm not sure they're going there. They were no. in Australia a couple of years ago. They're not going back for a while. They were yep. in England a couple of years ago, so they won't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't see them. Uh, they seem to have got all that 
all the component parts, you know, incredibly strong batting, great spin bowling, a couple of very handy pace bowlers, and I think they might be up there for a while. Okay, number one test batsman in the world, Steve Smith has the mantle right now. Will he hold it in 12 months' time? I would suggest he'd hold it if only understood how that worked. Okay. Um, because if he doesn't play much test cricket, I assume he can slip down the rankings. You Other mm. people can go past him, although his rankings sort of up there at an all-time high. Yep. I don't know if you lose points, if you're not playing, if you get out a couple of times playing beach cricket during the uh, the northern summer, does that count against you? I don't know about beach cricket, but I think he'd be okay. I think it's only if you, it's a considerable amount of time that you miss from the game that you start to lose ranking points, but I don't think the gap over the winter will be too severe on him. Well, in that case, I'm going with Steve Smith because uh, I don't think I've seen a batter in more more reliable form than mm. he was on this tour. Um, he's quite clearly, I think, the best batsman in the world as we speak. Okay, how about the number one test bowler in the world? Our favourite tongue twister, Ravindra Jadeja. He is the number one bowler in the world, but he's got Ravi Ashwin, his partner in crime, nipping at his heels. There's also guys like Josh Hazelwood. The English guys have got big test, uh, big of their own test summer against South Africa. Dal Stain, Chachiso Robado. There's plenty of bowlers going around. Who will be number one? Uh, the, I don't think it'll be Jadeja. I, I, as much as he's, I've enjoyed his bowling here during this series, he doesn't have a great record away from India. In fact, they don't, they don't play him that much uh, no. away from India, as I think one of the Australian players might have pointed out to him during the course of the test. Um, he often just travels with a tourist visa. He doesn't have a working one. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Ravi Ashwin is back up there. I mean, he's bowled mm. a power of overs. He'll bowl a power of overs, no matter where in, uh, India play, whether it be at the West Indies or, or wherever they go for their next test assignments. Um, and he's just... Uh, you know, perennially landing on the spot and doing what he does so um, fast bowlers can sort of come and go a bit in spurts if they're not injured but I think uh, Ashwin for me Speaking of Steve Smith he's going to be the number one batsman in the world he's currently got 20 test match centuries he'll have at least five Ashes matches three four matches against South Africa and potentially a couple of games against Bangladesh so how many test centuries will he have in a year's time? 26 26? I think it's six and 11 games. Yeah. If he plays in Bangladesh, I'd pencil him in for two there. Yep. Uh, two or three in the course of an Ashes summer is not unreasonable, I no. wouldn't have thought. Um, leaves, gives him one to catch up in South Africa. He's done well there before. He's done well there before. Um, yeah, I'm going with 26. I'm comfortable with that. Lock it in, Sammy. Okay. Penultimate question. Who will be the... Oh, just, and was it second to last one as well? Yeah, yep. Who will be the 2018 Allen Border medalist? David Warner is the two-time reigning AB medalist. Can he make it a hat-trick or someone else come up there and take the medal from around his neck? Uh, given that I know you cast votes in a lot of these games and you Please. tell me what they are so that I can uh, inform my close friends who don't use that information anywhere, <laughs> um, I'd say Stephen Smith. Given that number of votes he would have picked up in this series yep. test match votes are worth more in the yeah. border middle. they're worth six times ODIs are worth three times T20s two times something sure. like that something like that okay. so it's a very complicated formula you divide that by the number you first thought of and uh, extrapolate out until you come up with Stephen Smith so here's my tip okay Stephen Smith finally this is an important one where where in the world in one year's time, will your research team be? They've been all over the shop during this India series, from the Maldives to Eastern Europe. Anything you think they're in North Korea or something at the moment? Where will they be in a year's time? 
Uh, I know going to Iceland at the moment is very fashionable, um, but of course you wouldn't go there until sort of Northern Lights time late in the year. Yeah. Um, I'm expecting them to pass through there January, so I have a I have engaged the services of a local Reykjavik uh, microchipper. Yep. Who will be able to at least plant a device in one of them, in which case we're able to track them. And I th- I'm assuming that by that stage, given their movement patterns over the last little while, they'll be in sub-Saharan Africa. Okay, so we're going sub-Saharan Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay, great. Rambo, you wouldn't believe it, but that's it for season one of the Unplayable Podcast. Sam, I've enjoyed every moment, or at least most of them. I've got to say some thank yous. Big thank you to Patrick Coran, Paddy, who got this whole thing started. Our guests along the way, including the great Neil Manthorpe and the even greater Marza Ashad. We've got Phil and host Adam Burnett and Martin Smith. Apologies for having to listen to those guys. We've everybody we've interviewed from Mark Taylor to Mitchell Stark to Mick Lanning. Many thanks to all the listeners. They're very important, the many listeners and those on the social medias who have given us uh, vital feedback. But I've got to say the biggest thank you has to go to you, Rambo. Many thanks. Oh, boy, the show wouldn't be what it is without you. Okay, a bit sentimental here. Are you? Is that a tear in your eye? No, that's just sweat because it's incredibly hot in this it room, is. isn't no, it? I should have just put the air conditioning on. But thank you, mate. hope it hasn't been uh, too painful. I think you once described it as um, paper cutting your eyeballs, but I'm glad we got through it. No, I did, I, uh, that was a low point somewhere. Um, no, I've enjoyed it and I'm looking forward <laughs> to season two and uh, uh, hopefully we'll find out who the murderer is at some stage. All right, we're going to take a bit of a break, but we'll be back around the Champions Trophy in the Women's World Cup time. So until then, go to cricket.com for all your news, calls and video on everything that's happening in the cricketing world. Cricket.